Triathlon Show 260. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of that Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Marco Pinotti. Marco is the head of performance of the CCC cycling team that uh, competes at the world tour level, and he is himself a former professional cyclist. Among other things, he has uh, six Italian national championships in the time trial discipline to his name, and uh, that is the topic of today's episode. Specifically, what does it take to become a good uh, cycling time trialist? And we will focus at a lot on the professional world tour level, what they are actually doing, because of course, at that level, uh, the cyclists are not just riding time trials, as Marco will go into. They might have six or eight time trials in a year where they race 50 or 60 times. So they need to do a lot of tra- training that is not specific to time trialing. Uh, so that's one aspect of the interview, but we will also uh, turn back to what are the things that amateur cyclists and triathletes should focus on when it comes to, to time trialing. So, so that's another, another perspective that we, we also will take. Before we get into the interview, a big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. If you are somebody who is uh, suffering a lot from cramping, then one of the potential reasons for that could be uh, inadequate sodium intake. And uh, this is something that you would have to test uh, experimentally on yourself. But according to the experience of uh, the Precision Hydration team uh, with their clients who have suffered from cramps and then started to uh, replace sodium more frequently in training, uh, that can quite often be one of those things that helps relieve cramps. And in long and hot races in particular, uh, the sodium can be something that, that saves you from suffering from cramps, not to mention that sodium is uh, in itself something that if depleted too much will directly impact uh, your performance negatively. So staying on top of that is crucial. For that, go and take Precision Hydration's free online sweat test and get an estimate for how much sodium you lose and should replace in your training and racing. And if you want to buy any other products, you can get 15% off with the promo code thattriathlonshow15 on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are not only a triathlon wetsuit manufacturer the way that they started. That was the first product line they got into but these days Roka are also focusing heavily on the eyewear sector with uh, a really strong lineup of prescription glasses and sunglasses even things like blue light blocking glasses of course they have all of their uh, performance sunglasses for use in in sports in triathlon and other sports that they've had for quite some time but uh, with a prescription with all of their glasses they have uh, some amazing technology including just uh, unparalleled optics they have geco anti-slip technology to prevent the glasses from falling off your face you have rims that you can bend and match to match your your face shape perfectly and many other things you can customize your glasses and you can even take a vision test online to update your prescription without needing to go anywhere to do so Uh, note that some of these things only apply in the united states specifically on the prescription glasses side of things Uh, but uh, the performance sunglasses you can get on any of the roca online stores 
Check out all that Roka has to offer and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Marco Pinotti. Welcome to That Triathlon Show, Marco. How are you doing? Yeah, welcome, everybody. Thanks for inviting me. I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, so why don't we start with uh, you just giving the audience an introduction uh, to yourself? So tell us who you are and uh, what's your background and what do you currently do? Yeah, okay. So I'm a, a former professional cyclist. I've been racing uh, professional uh, from 1999 until 2013, so for 15 years. And immediately after I, I stopped my career, I started coaching uh, with the team I was racing for, first part-time. And then I, you know, I became more and more uh, involved in coaching, especially uh, time trial events. Uh, since I was, uh, you know, when I was a rider, my this, the specialty I was excelling was uh, time trialing. And um, I've have been coaching uh, since uh, 2014, and now I'm currently head of performance of a CCC team, the former BMC racing team. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what your day-to-day work looks like as the head of performance of CCC? Yeah, basically, uh, you know, uh, I'm a part of a professional cycling team. So um, there's a group of 28 or 27, 28 athletes at World 2 level, which is the highest uh, level of professional cycling. And um, we, I take care of the training with, together with the performance group, which, uh, which is... Uh, uh, made up with other uh, two coaches and uh, two doctors and nutritionists. We are, uh, take care of the riders' preparation to races and also uh, we make sure we give them the best support between and at races. I generally follow the riders, you know, at the training camp or from remote with, a, you know, centralized software where we get all the power data from the riders. Or when I'm at races, I also... Uh, I also fulfill the role of sport director at the races, so I can uh, combine, uh, you know, what I see in the races from what I see from uh, from the power file and what uh, I see, you know, from uh, talking with the riders. Mm, yeah, and h- how much are you training together as a group as part of training camps, and and how much are you uh, training more remotely? Everybody's at their own place. When uh, now, of course, we have the season is yeah. ongoing, the delayed season, but but in the when the racing season is not on, so to say. Yeah, normally uh, in a normal season, we will we would have uh, uh, training camps mostly in the winter time because they have the time where the training is more important for the athletes, which is one in December, around December time, 10 days, and then uh, a couple of times, 10 days in uh, between uh, January and uh, February. And then we, we might do uh, additional training camps depending on the goals of the teams and depending on... Uh, the availability of the riders in a targeted period during the season, most likely in a June or July in altitude uh, with the riders. But so apart from that, the majority of the of the training is uh, done uh, via remote coaching because each athlete lives. Uh, they 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 most of the athletes resident in Europe during the season, but they live uh, you know not necessarily close to each other or close to where I am. Yeah. So let's go into the main topic of today, which is going to be time trialing, as you said, is your specialty. Uh, can you give an overview of what goes into becoming a good time trialist? 
Yeah, first of all, you know, I'm talking about uh, uh, time trialist as uh, you know in, in in cycling. Okay, I know this is a, a podcast for trainer, but first of all, it, it what it takes is you know the physical skill. So you need to have uh, a strong engine, and uh, because you know only to make uh, the pro professional level, you need you have the basis of being a strong athlete, a strong aerobic capacity. And uh, so starting from that, I think the, the, what, uh, what uh, differentiate the good uh, time trial from the other riders, I think it's, uh, first of all, a mental uh, attitude to, the, to that. Because you have, uh, you got to have the love for, uh, uh, for solo efforts. And uh, probably more than uh, road racing, you have the, the, you, what you what what a time trialer like, like is that the, the ability to control the outcome and uh, the the possibility to reduce uncertainty and all the all the other you know parts that my my influence road racing tactics uh, so it's a, a time trialer is a, you know it's called the race of the true the, the race against the clock so it's yourself and the clock and you are most of the time 100% responsible of the outcome. There's no other uh, factor involved, like other riders' uh, tactics or uh, you know the sport director uh, calls. And uh, and I think uh, you know these are the, the mental thing that you 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 know some people like uh, this type of uh, of uh, of characteristics for the, for for this discipline. Other they hate it and. Uh, and it depends really. So I was, I was one. What I was liking also of uh, time trialing was that uh, you know you could train for it without uh, necessarily training for five or six hours. So because I, I, I was, um, I, I developed the love for the discipline when uh, I was uh, still studying engineering and I was still as a pro. So I found that you know when you wanted to do well in time trial, the events were not so long. So I could uh, excel even without having uh, a full time uh, avail- during the day available to train, like you should probably have if you target, uh, you know, stage races or or other type of events. Yeah. Uh, so let's go into that training component. What might it look like for somebody really specializing in in time trials? Yeah, as I said before, uh, I uh, so generally the time trial first of all is a you know is a road bike race, so. Time trial events are, um, uh, you know, if a rider races uh, 60 to 80 days per year, probably time trial, when uh, they have a long, a lot of them, they can have from six uh, to to eight. So 10% of the events on a good season are time trial. And um, I think training uh, a good uh, a, a good time trial is, is a little bit more than that. So in terms of, of a volume, it's uh, probably uh, 20% of the total volume of training should be done on a time trial bike for uh, either, uh, generally in, in a one-year season. For example, um, if we if we try to simplify, we do a 20 hours uh, volume of average uh, as an average week. I recommend usually to do train the time trial bike twice a week. So maybe one time for an easy ride or a more uh, two-hour ride, and the other one is still two to an half hour with more specific work. 
this um, you know this is just a general rule during the season you may have days weeks where you don't use the time trial bike because they're focusing on other skills or weeks where you have used the time trial bike four times a week when uh, maybe i don't know an important event is approaching like world championship or you know a national championship or other or other, or other time trials so generally you know the training is at least uh, twice a week when it's when it is possible and uh, here I'm going to ask you about uh, something that's related to amateurs, not necessarily professionals. But if we have we have a lot of uh, cyclists as well listening to the podcast, not just triathletes, so people uh, specializing in 40 kilometer time trials, and that's sort of the main kind of event that they're doing, or 15 mile time trials and so on, even 100 mile time trials. Uh, I'm guessing that for them, if you were to coach somebody like that, it might look a bit different. Like it wouldn't just be. 20% of the time spent on the TT bike because they don't have any races on the road bike. So for the, your professional riders, it's different because most of their racing is a, on the road bike, of course. Is that a correct understanding? Yeah, that's correct. And you're right. So basically, if, uh, when, a, when a pro is targeting, for example, World Championship, it doesn't, it doesn't have races, I would say 90% of the training is done on the time trial bike. So uh, for the listener who are... Uh, who are uh, just doing time trial, like you say, 40-kilometer time trial or even 100. I mean, if they are comfortable with the time trial bike, they should, in my opinion, use only, you use majority of, at least for the specific training, they should use uh, 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 the time trial bike and use the recovery, another bike if they have, or a mountain bike just in the recovery day or maybe general endurance ride. But uh, yeah, because this is what, the, when a pro, the, the, the final two weeks before a world championship, they train, uh, as I said, eighty percent of the time on uh, on the time trial bike, and, and they use the road bike just, you know, to to uh, maintain the volume, but without, you know, the let's say like this, I put it, the hassle of you know riding in a in a in a in a, in a aero position and being yeah. more enjoyable, uh, you know, the ride, make yeah. the ride more enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned there that the specific training should definitely be on the TT bike, which makes makes sense, of course. One thing that is uh, an interesting topic I find to discuss is what about if you do really high-intensity training, let's say you do intervals that are two or three minutes long or one minute long intervals, that sort of thing where you're really going at kind of your VO2 max, uh, if you want to call it that. Uh, should Do you think that that too should be done on the TT bike if you are, let's say, either... A professional rider really focusing right now on the world championships or you're an amateur rider focusing on only time trials no i think definitely you should do it on the on the on the time trial bike because yeah. what, what what i have seen in my experience you know uh, the riders you know there is a bit of biomechanical differences between the road bike and the time trial bike and not all the riders are able at least initially to develop the power, uh, the same power on both bikes, especially if uh, the aero position is, um, you know, uh, can impair a little bit the ability, you know, to breathe or, you know, to, to, to use the, the, the muscle in the same, uh, in the most efficient way. So sometimes you sacrifice a little the ability to uh, produce power uh, in favor of uh, an aerodynamic advantage. And uh, there's always a, uh, you know, um, there's a balance to find, and uh, but I think with the, with the, the time and the training, is a good time trial time trial is able to adapt 
and in the end, it will it will be able to express its potential also on time travel. It's only it's only it's or most of the time it's only a matter of time how much time they they dedicate to that. And I saw also in my experience when I was able to uh, you know to extend the time of uh, spend on time trial bike, I was feeling that the differences between uh, even on the climb the differences of of power output developed on the road bike versus time trial was was minimal and was reducing it was just a matter and this is one of the other uh skill that a, a good time trial have is as a good uh, adaptability to a to a, an aerodynamic position so may, must have good flexibility good uh, core strength because uh you know this is in this not all the riders are able to do that but with the work and the time i think uh, it is possible yeah yeah and that's something that you can you can improve you can train on on those aspects yeah. as well so uh all right and what what are the key workouts that you that your pro riders use when for somebody who is targeting some time trials at, at a stage race for example or at the world championship events what what would some key workouts that you do for for that be yeah uh that's a good question depends uh, depends on what are the the you know the uh the the what, what how is the, the the race that you're targeting uh generally let's say that any any uh because if it's a short event or a long event you know it depends but any any races or any any training that you do on the time travel is going to benefit as well your performance on the road race because you're, you're training basically to improve your lactate threshold you're training to to improve your aerobic capacity and you know apart maybe from uh, from uh, the sprint you know or anaerobic capacity i think those are uh, what you train for time trial is going to help you also the 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 road race but generally let's say we have to see how is the course we have to see what is the length of the course if you what is the the the, the skill the um, you know there is if there is a climb there is a descent and uh, you start probably you know we start always looking at uh, uh, in, at the model of the race, let's uh, uh, say if it, if it has any acceleration, and depending on the distance, um, you know the, the 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 training plan is always done to develop the aerobic capacity and then uh, or sometimes the aerobic power. You know, shorter effort depend. And uh, the goal is to ex- to see, to look at the, what what is the power that this rider is uh, available available is able to develop during a certain the, the time predicted. And we try to you know to increase the power, you know, or extend this for a longer period of time. And also, one thing that is important to look when we plan workout is also looking at the former data of um, of time trial. What is the ideal cadence that the riders have? And then we try to see what is the the uh, you know to improve the the strength required for uh, for this effort at the same at this cadence. So. There are specific targets that work out there. You know, one example that we do, we might do depending uh, uh, on um, you know on the land, but we can do maybe like three times ten minutes, looking like two minutes at ninety-five percent of the lactate threshold, at maybe at ninety-five RPM if this is the, the rider, and then maybe uh, thirty thirty seconds alternating this with thirty seconds at one hundred and ten of the lactate threshold. With a higher cadence, so you are incre- you you know you maintain the torque higher, but you also increase cadence and you get the speed in the legs. Depending depend uh, on uh, on on the course, but this is something like a, a sort of um, of uh, over unders for 
we call it for uh, for for this event. Another one could be like if the the, the time trial involves more is the the, the the course is not steady flat, uh, but there's uh, a lot of variability. We might alternate threshold uh, period uh, during the training, like maybe five minutes, alternated with five minutes of more intermittent training, like a random uh, you know go out. Go hard for 15 seconds, easy for 15 seconds, or maybe 30 seconds hard and 15 seconds easy, or 40 seconds hard, 20 seconds easy. You know, try to structure the training, alternating this time, so you have a, a path where you develop more um, anaerobic uh, uh, skills and you know produce more lactate, and then a threshold part where you try to to recycle or uh, combust uh, uh, the lactate that you have produced in the in the path when you when you go above treasure for multiple times. And how long would you have a specific preparation period uh, before uh, this sort of focus event, before a world championship or a key uh, stage race with time trials? Would it be that you have, let's say, the last eight weeks, you have each week two key workouts, or or what would the frequency and duration of that build be? Yeah, it depends on on uh, what are uh, you know the race schedule of the rider because uh, they have to do other races. But I would say minimum four, maximum eight weeks. Generally, if you are if you are uh, lucky or you know you have a big rider that can have the possibility to plan the season, maybe eight weeks is the ideal time. You know, and I'm, and I'm talking about riders that already done a good base. In a, I'm talking like the final eight weeks should be really focused on on this. Uh, or you know if they have if otherwise if they have a stage race before the, in the first part then the, la- the the last two to four weeks are the one to fine tune the training a good uh, a good experience we had uh, with uh, with world championship we had riders coming out either from the last play big races with the the, the Vuelta España which is a three week uh, uh, stage race so the best uh, we've seen that the best performance comes from uh, the rider who who pull out basically stop um, after two weeks uh, more or less, and so they have another two weeks. So they do two weeks of big volume, big uh, intensity uh, overload with with the racing, and then they have two weeks uh, to the event. And uh, during these two weeks, they might include three to four. Uh, first, uh, one week of recovery, or maybe five, four or five days, and then they might do three to four maximum specific into uh, time trial training. The rest is just recovering, cruising. So this is like the most uh, practical approach that I've seen being successful in a football championship, which is which is uh, to, you know one of the longest events that the, the pro rider have in regards of time trialing in the recent year. It's been uh, probably the only one together with national championship that goes close or uh, above one hour of length. Yeah, and coming back to the to the base training, so you mentioned that maybe you would have them riding on a TT bike twice per week, including one hard workout. Is that something that is typical through, throughout the winter before the racing season, and then they might be doing uh, a few other key workouts but that they do on the road bike, or what does that base season look like? Yeah, there is a um, there is a progression here, and uh, I like uh, you know we, with the riders that I coach and the team that I follow, I like ideally I would like to have the all the time trial bike and set up already in December and already in December you know on a 10 days camp I always plan to plan to to training on the time trial bike and especially for the riders which uh, longer uh, goals are uh, which the which goals are 
a little bit long term, uh, maybe May or April. Uh, the intensity is still uh, sub-threshold. It's more uh, about getting the time on, on, on the time trial bike and getting used to, it's more about base training, like torque training on this, alternating uh, low cadence and high and higher cadence workout. While the riders that maybe have to start the season well, I, I do already, you know, some treasure work already in December, but maybe maybe on a shorter time. And uh, as the season progresses, the, the, there is... Uh, there is a development as well in the intensity and the length of the duration. When uh, when they peaks, really, I, I introduce more race pace uh, uh, training, and uh, especially in land, because one thing that uh, it seems weird, but the riders are not uh, used to do uh, effort longer than 20 minutes. Uh, even or, like all out effort for longer than 20 minutes, even on uh, and steady effort, let's say, put it so, above all. So they, if the, the race is maybe 50 minutes long, they need time to to uh, to arrive at that length, and they need uh, also uh, they need to try to test this length in training or in another race because uh, uh, it's not something that you know if you are used to do 20 minutes allowed, then all of a sudden you have to do 50. It's different doing two times 20 minutes and, and, if, and doing 40 minutes consecutively when you are always on the limit. So there is, there is a progression here. Every, you know, it goes into a planning of the season and um, most of the time is, is a one-on-one plan uh, for, uh, for each rider. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like generally you build up from uh, lower intensities from some threshold work and then introduce more threshold and uh, above threshold work later on and then you finish off with the most race specific work which for time trialists might be again threshold work or so but for different riders it might be some something else is that sort of the general periodization scheme you follow yes yes it depends yeah i'd say that's correct so for uh for uh we, we normally we you know depends how you find treasure but if it's an hour longer it has to be treasure or less or or, or uh, but even then depends on on how is the course Design that sometimes you have, uh, you know, maybe a climb at the start or a climb in the mid, and then for sure you need to, to adapt the pacing and you need to be able to go above your threshold because the following part will be less than threshold. So you got time to recover. And so it's not only threshold work, but th- this, is, uh, this is a skill that, uh, you know, as you said, you have to, to train both, both parts of the, of the training. But generally, you know, the, when you use the time trial bike, it's it is very specific. It is a uh, more high intensity than the road bike. That's definitely yep. right. Uh, what sort of testing are you doing? And this might I don't know. This might be the same for all riders. Uh, but yeah, explain how you're using testing and how that is then used to inform the training plan. Yeah. So uh, when I started, I was uh, you know always one of the uh, uh, you know because of my experience as a rider. There was a lot of uh, the from the Anglo-Saxon culture, uh, the critical power testing of like twenty-minute test, five-minute test. But I find more useful, especially for professional bike riders, because if they don't, they are not so excited when you ask them to do all-out efforts in training, because they want to preserve. And I, I agree with them. You know, the the ability to, to you know they want to preserve their mental energy to go all out for the races. So. I like to do I like to do the start uh, 
uh, more lactate testing. Uh, so use a, a standard step test with the with the lactate, uh, which we we do outdoor, and it's easy to do both on the road bike on the TT bike. And you know when you do this test, you can get a, a good idea of what is the, the you know we we can estimate the maximum lactate steady state, and they don't need to do uh, all out only maybe the last step. Okay, so it's uh, maybe five minutes allowed, and then you see a progression. And when you have, uh, you know, they, you ask them to do maybe five minutes at a certain power output on the TT bike, and then you check the lactate before and after, you get an idea of how much lactate they have produced in those five minutes, how much the intensity, what if they rated perceived exhaustion. And so you can get a good, get a good estimation of... Uh, how long they could have maintained that pace? Okay, so it's all, even if it's only five minutes, you can you can say that uh, as you know this. I think I think lactate is a good predictor. And uh, but most recently, in the past two years, we have uh, you know been uh, using uh, inside test, which uh, yeah maybe your your uh, listener are familiar with. And uh, there is a version with lactate which uh, is also similar. You know, it involves for a, for a different test. But uh, yeah, and the good thing with inside is that uh, um, I know the the lactate production rate of a rider, so the VLA max, the anaerobic capacity, and uh, you know at, at every intensity. So I can I know how many. There's a good estimation of how much lactate they produce every minute of a certain at a certain power output. And for example, this is helpful to when we have to plan uh, a pacing strategy on a course which is. Uh, you know, usually uh, not, not steady. So we can uh, we can plan, let's say maybe there is 10 minutes that need to go at 450 watts. Okay, is he able to do it? You think he's able, but you, you, you say, okay, this rider is going to be producing one millimole per minute at this intensity, and then he has to write 10 minutes. So in the end, he's going to have 10 minimoles. Is it is it possible for him or not? Because some rider, you know, that you... you you can uh, you always when doing this test you see the peak of lactate and some rider have a peak of 15 some rider have a peak of five depending on their physiology. So based on this you can uh, you can uh, estimate in a better way the pace and you can plan a better way the pacing strategy with the riders. And uh, when I don't have this when I don't have the possibility to add this data, uh, usually I do uh, I do look I look at uh, former power data. And what what the rider did in uh, if if uh, they are available what the rider did uh, in uh, former uh, in similar events previously in in his past. Yeah, uh, do, do you do you train to actively lower the lactate production rate the VLA max in in the, the riders that are uh, focused on time trial events? Yeah, it's uh, not not depends depends because. Uh, <laughs> Um, so I was personally, you know, a rider, uh, an athlete with a very low VLA max, but it, it was too low, and I was suffering in a in a time trial when you needed to go over threshold or where you have a lot of acceleration, maybe a lot of corners or a lot of you know steep parts. With of course you have to. Uh, it, the requirement is to go well above your threshold and then and being able to hold it. So, as I said before, if there is a climb uh, uh, at the start and then followed by a descent, this climb needs to be, and the climb is, I don't know, 10, 5 kilometers or uh, 10 minutes or 12 minutes. This climb needs to be done above threshold. And a rider with too low VLA max, um, 
either are not able to do that or if they do that they're gonna pay later so they are not able to uh, to raise the 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 you know the to, to they are not able to, to to use their anaerobic capacity to 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 produce the power necessary to make the difference in that part for a good example was the Federation world championship where you had uh, you know it was all flat okay but it was half of the course going out strong headwind and the second half coming back strong tailwind so in the in the i have seen rider that uh, had uh, you know a very you know not no not so fast going out but but fast coming back and the power output was you know just they have a very big threshold very high threshold but they missed uh, they didn't have the higher enough vla max so they were able to make the difference in the in the headwind part. So they needed to ride maybe 40 watts above their threshold, but they were not able to do that at only maybe 10 or 15 watts. So they couldn't, uh, uh, their performance was not as good as, you know, somebody thought it could be just uh, looking at their threshold power. That is a very interesting point. So, so what would a rider that has a too low VLA max, what would their VLA max, what would a too low VLA max be if you could give some benchmark? Uh, I think, versus- yeah. I think too low is probably 0.2, 0.25. It needs to be a little bit at least zero above 0.3. I think 0.2, 0.25 is probably good if you you know it's a long, steady effort, and you know with, an, with an, an Ironman maybe. Yeah, an Ironman. I think I think I'm not I'm not uh, uh, I don't have experience with that. But I think I guess with an Ironman with not many with 180 kilometers, five hours. I think that would be a good one, 0.2, 0.25. But for a road race, road. Uh, Time trial, I think above zero three zero three five, I think is the minimum required to be, you know, a good time trial. And there, you know, of mm-hmm. course, the most important is is the view to max the aerobic capacity. But yeah. at some point, you need to have, uh, or you know, uh, a good VLA max or at least a good strength, you know. In a, but those those things sometimes, most of the time, they go together because. Uh, even uh, you know, being able to accelerate after each corner is is very important. Yeah, especially you know, depend on the level. But the shorter, the shorter the 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 length, the more important is uh, you know to have also I think a, v, a high VLA max. Speaking of strength, uh, how do you use strength training? Yeah, so for time trial, I think you know that it's very similar to it's very similar to uh, the road road race. So it depends on uh, on the rider, but generally you know a good. Uh, uh, you know, a good score, and then some very few but key exercises to improve strength in uh, in the gym, uh, which are you know the squat. If uh, the rider is experienced with uh, with um, or with weights not uh, on the on the on the machine, or if he has leg experience and and uh, there is the risk of injury, then you use the sing- leg squat, or single or or uh, you know or double or both leg both leg squat um sorry the the leg leg extension leg leg press the single yep. leg single leg press or or double and um on the most important is on the bike and i think uh, also this is come uh it's important to do uh, low cadence you know alternating special low cadence high cadence or high cadence but a very high intensity so you you your torque is still high but your the speed in the legs is the same as in the race pace. So you go, you do maybe uh, you want to do maybe thirty seconds at five hundred watts, but targeting uh, a certain certain uh, 
revolution per minute, 100, 105, or 110. So the torque. Why, is, why, why is it important that the torque is also high if the goal is sort of leg be, speed, neuromuscular development? Because otherwise the strength is not enough. Otherwise the stimulus is not, is not hard enough. Especially above two minutes, the rider are able to do that and you accumulate uh, this time for the duration of the race, especially for 30. If you have an event of 20 minutes, maybe you do two times, uh, no, 10 times two minutes, you know, and 105 at. 500 watt, depending on what is the, the ride, it can be 450 or 500, depending on what is it. So you want to have the same torque and you maybe maybe you start at 85 RPM, the same uh, and, and a little bit less power. Then you start uh, at, then you progress to 95 and add uh, some power. And then you start at 105 with more power. So the torque remains the same, but the closer you go to the race, the, the closer you have to be in terms of uh, speed length, uh, in the speed in the legs, okay. So, so, so the torque, the torque should be the same as the yeah. target torque for the race. No, no, no. The, the torque should be higher, but the RPM, okay. <laughs> the RPM should be should be the same. You know, so the torque should be higher. So you are able to, you know, being able in the race, the torque should be the one that you are you need in the race uh, during the harder phase of the race. Okay, so there's the thirty second, there's a thirty second. If there is a 30 second burst, you need that torque. Then you train that torque. You know, so okay. you need, I hope it makes sense. Yeah, 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 and you need to train that that torque that you need. You also need to train that with the high leg speed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, I, I see. Uh, and w- what's your thoughts around uh, indoor and outdoor training? Do do you use both of them, or do most of your riders train outdoors year round? How does that work? So we uh, no. Uh, most of the riders they train outdoors, you know. A professional bike that usually they they grow up, you know. They they you know they rather uh, take a day off than going indoor. But the trend in the past year, due to the COVID restriction and due to you know development of uh, of uh, software and uh, useful tool, uh, part of the training can be easily done indoor, especially for time trial because you have uh, you can maintain easier in a safe environment like posture training so you you can use uh, devices like uh, you know that they can detect your angles like Leomo or other you know even a, a Jersey mirror to maintain uh, your the ideal posture that you've been working and uh, this is easier to do indoor and indoor is also uh, what I'm saying you can target specific intervals sometimes you know if you leave, if you do, Doing outdoors training on the time trial bike, on the flat race, on the flat road, it's not always possible in every part of the world. Where I live is a lot of traffic. So when I was racing, I was doing most of the training on a shallow climb, like two, three percent climb, because I could, I cannot find a, a road 10K long with no traffic, with no uh, traffic lights. So indoor training can be a good alternative of that. One thing that, uh, you know, you have to adapt, either you build, you build a good environment, which, uh, you know, when you have an indoor basement, which means you need to have a good fan to have good ventilation. And then you have, um, I don't know, maybe a softer or, you know, a swift or similar trainer road because the, the, um, the perception of, of, of an effort indoor, I think generally is harder. Sometimes it's physiologically it's impossible to, to do the same thing indoor because you, if you don't have ventilation, uh, sometimes it's also mentally harder if you don't have uh, you know other tools helping you. 
And the other thing is that uh, I found uh, it more important to train outdoors because, uh, especially on time trial bike, when you have maybe you use aero wheels like disc or uh, or uh, you know high rim, you need to be able to deal with external condition, which is wind and maybe rain. And if you never, if if you don't ride outdoor with your specific equipment, you're gonna it could be a negative uh, surprise. <laughs> uh, these are negative, you know, affecting you. This this element can affect you negatively your performance on a race day because you need to have the skill to be able to dominate, the, to 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 drive the bike, uh, to handle the bike on a on a, under strong wind or even uh, uh, under with wet roads. So I remember one year I won a national championship, and it was raining. And I remember the week before the 4K was was also was I I, I went out by purposely I waited in the afternoon when it was raining because I wanted to get the feeling of how the bike was behaving the tires on a, on a, on a wet road because uh, you know you if you always train with the, if you always go out training or in uh, when it's dry or um, you train indoor I mean unless the races are cancelled when it's wet but otherwise you you find yourself in a very different environment and you might be, you know, you don't know how you react, uh, the, the, the brakes, the braking the tire. So it's, uh, I mean, I know, I know indoor is, uh, is, uh, is more convenient, but you know, if you want to, to prepare really well, you, you should do your part also outdoor. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely, absolutely right. Uh, the, it's not, not always the right choice to select what's the most convenient. So yeah. Sometimes you have to make sure that you yeah. get the preparation done correctly. Uh, one one more point about the actual training aspect. Uh, do, uh, how do you use motor pacing? How does that figure in? Yeah. So <laughs> uh, when I grew up and I was racing, there was a lot of, you know, the rule was like, I don't know why, to be honest, but uh, it was like, oh, you need to prepare the time trial. Okay, let's do motor pacing. And here we were doing like, massive amount of training motor pacing okay and i was uh you know i was following this advice so maybe you were doing 80 kilometers in uh, an hour 20 minutes motor pace and then you know as the year passed by and i, and I started taking care of my preparation i was thinking yeah but in a race you never motor pace so why is why there is this this needs of motor pacing okay the need of motor pacing in my opinion it's a, it's a skill a motor skill that you know allows you to get uh, uh, the same um, the same speed in the legs, okay, at the high at the high speed also on the bike. So you are develop you 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 force to to to, to pedals at uh, you know high RPM at at high speed. But if you look at the at the data, the torque is is low. It's just so I, still to me. I'm not a big fan of motor pacing because, okay, it gets get you the a good advantage, you know, of the feeling of the speed, which is important. And so you get a good uh, feeling of the position or how important it is to keep a good posture. But sometimes the risk, I, I don't think it's worth the effort because, uh, you know, it's not an easy, unless you're very experienced or you are a, a good uh, you and, you're, and also the, the driver of the motorbike, Need to need to be experienced, and you need to be in a safe uh, environment, which is not always possible out in the traffic. So, uh, I'm, as I said, I'm not a big fan. I've been I've been uh, preparing for uh, 
for the majority of time drive without doing one kilometer uh, behind the, the motor of, of a car. Uh, also because, okay, when you race, uh, racing is like doing motor pacing some, some, in some aspect because uh, when you ride on the flat in the peloton, it's, it's a little bit like this if you want. Or when you are in the breakaway, it's a little bit like this, like motor pacing and, you know, alternating. So, uh, to be honest, uh, I'm not a big fan of this. There is, there is some, uh, some, for sure it helps, but uh, it's really the icing on the cake. And there are many, many things that you can do before uh, motor pacing. Yeah. Uh, next topic is uh, aerodynamics. How how do you optimize that in this day and age? It seems that it uh, it is uh, developing very quickly now in the pro peloton as well. When we look at old footage from races from not that far ago compared to to these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Aerodynamics, you know, is uh, the most important thing because it's uh, uh, you know when you go 50k an hour the the 95 percent of resistance or something like this comes from uh, uh, air resistance and uh, I think the start you know there's a progression there as well uh, when a pro can, when a rider comes pro or you know you need to first assign a, a time trial bike it needs to be to have a good bike fitting so starting from the position on the road bike trying to make you the most aero and already a good bike fitting uh, can uh, give you, uh, you know, it, it needs to be a position you are comfortable. It doesn't hurt you and it doesn't uh, prevent you to develop good power. And, you know, it needs to be as arrow as, as, it, as it can from a good bike, so, you know, from what you can see from a bike fitting. What we do with the pro is also, uh, is uh, generally we do a test on the track. It's the second step after the heavy fitting. We go on the uh, on the track indoor if possible, so you you should eliminate the the influence of the wind. And uh, you know we do a track testing with the there are with simple protocol. We use uh, you know some some uh, standard uh, Excel spreadsheet. We use uh, protocol that are uh, validated through the years by by sports scientists. Uh, more recently, you know some not so there have been Alpha Mantis or Garmin. Uh, Aero test, Aero tune, other software where you can, you know, collect uh, power data and put parametric uh, and uh, and uh, other other data from from the weather condition, and you can get also uh, maybe it a little bit quicker, give you giving you the CDA, so the, the coefficient of track of the rider, and um, I don't have much experience of that, but I also you know I was looking uh, in the past in. Uh, in other devices where you can do this type of test also outdoor or like Aerolab or Nokia Connect. I think they are, they, they are good in this as well. It, you can do this outdoor if you find uh, also stable condition like uh, one kilometer road up, out and back. I think uh, so this is a good, uh, but my experience is, is a good with track testing. Then with the pros, we have been doing in the past uh, quite a lot of wind tunnel testing, especially with the uh, athletes that uh, you know most important athletes of the team and but uh, my experience is that they are very good wind tunnel testing give you you know sensible data but it's uh, really as i said the, I, before the icing of the cake on the cake and uh, it's uh, it's a very, they are very good to if you have the possibility or you you wonder what is the best choice for a wind for the helmet if you have maybe two helmets or you know two set of wheels or you, you want to really fine tune the, the equipment part, probably the wind tunnel is the one that gives you the best uh, resolution. 
in the best uh, answer. Yeah. Uh, for the protocol that you do on the indoor track, uh, what is the which protocol is that? Does it have a name? So interested listeners can Google it. Yeah, I think I think it's called Jim Martin's protocol. So we do uh, six uh, different speed for each position. We do six, six different speed uh, and uh, three three laps of at the same speed, and then one lap, one lap accelerating. So you start at thirty kilometers per hour and you finish at fifty five or 50, depending on the fit of the ride. You can start 25, finish at 50, or start at 30, and then you build up, and then you you get the data, and uh, you put into an Excel spreadsheet, you you put environmental condition, air pressure, uh, temperature, and other humidity, and then uh, some some data from the biometric data from the rider, and then you get... uh, you know, formula, we take into account all this, to take everything in consideration and you get a CDA and then you repeat the test with another uh, different uh, setup, with a different setup. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And have you find, of course, with equipment, uh, everything is, uh, or a lot of things are individual, but, uh, but have you find anything that can be uh, given as general recommendations that for a lot of riders seems to work well, whether it's, we're talking about maybe longer versus medium versus short tail helmets, visors versus no, no visors and so on. Have you seen any general recommendations? that? Could yeah, be- yeah, I mean, there are, there are a few general recommendations, but I think this comes in a, uh, there's, a, there's a trend that goes on with the years. So when I, 20 years ago, it was more long uh, tail helmet, uh, which I think probably from an aerodynamic stand, standpoint, they are the best but in real, when you test in the wind tunnel, but in the real world, when you, <laughs> you know, the riders is not always keeping the position, they head, they head uh, tucked into the, into the neck, uh, into the, the shoulder. So it's moving. And so uh, the best is to have a, a short tail element now. So everybody seems now to move into a little, or a middle one, uh, because that's what in the real world, it gives you the best advantages. And uh, another factor is like in the in the position before every other was going as low as possible with his hand and uh, and the arm. Now you know there is a uh, this trend that goes because the, the, you don't see a big loss or you don't see any loss at all going higher, and the riders are able to narrow the shoulder in, in the same way. And most important, they are able to develop more power because the hip angle with a trunk, uh, the the angle between the hip and the trunk is high, is bigger. A briefing is optimized and so they can have a lot more power. So they, they generally now there is a rule. So there is a, there is a trend of going higher with the uh, with both arm pads. And you mm. see that uh, you know in the uh, in if you look at the pictures on how the riders have been positioned in the last year, you can see clearly this trend. So I think yeah. you know this is uh, the two things that you can generally higher is not generally slower uh, on. And uh, Jenny is more powerful. And uh, as, as far as helmets, the trend is uh, is for short tail helmet. For the, I don't know if it's probably. I think it's because you know the variability of the courses. The rider is not always in in the same uh, optimal position. In, yeah. 
Uh, do, do you have any? So I realize that you, uh, your team has sponsors and so on. But but any whether it's sponsored or non-sponsored equipment, just piece of equipment that you find for some reason. It could be helmets. It could be uh, aero bars that are good because they're adjustable, or anything you want to mention that are that you think are just good pieces of equipment for time trialists. Well, what would those be? But I think if you if you have to invest money in, in some equipment. Uh, probably the wheels are the one uh, apart, you know, from the bike. The, the wheels are, are the one that uh, uh, are quite important, especially the front wheel. And uh, we have seen that generally the wheel with um, spokes rather than rim are, you know, they behave in a good way. So, you know, without mentioning any brand, I think a good spokes wheel in the front and the disc wheel in the back are, are the best. Uh, choice generally, especially because they are able to use uh, um, the lift that the crosswind can give you. So they are designed in a way that uh, the, when they, you have crosswind, which is you know the most critical condition for a rider to handle the bike, but the one that <laughs> you want to have crosswind when you have a good set of wheels because you really have a lift and they can push you in, uh, forward. So yeah. And another right. factor, another factor that has been developed as well in the past is are the skin suite, uh, which was probably uh, a tool of equipment which were under which importance was underestimated in the past, uh, maybe a, a decade or two ago. But now we we have seen that you know the, they can make a quite a big difference the skin suite. So there is a lot of development there as well in material and. The rule also, you know, are starting to put boundaries around the development of this because we have seen the screen suite can make uh, quite a difference. Yeah. Uh, the next part of questions that I have here is about uh, executing the time trial on race day. So the first part of this would be pacing. And I think that you have already described quite a lot about that with uh, the importance or the impact of the different the, the course basically so if you have a an uphill at first and you have to go a bit quite a bit above threshold because then you're not going to be able to do that on the downhill and so on uh, but and of course the the distance is very important as well but is, so maybe we can do this the pacing part quickly but is there anything about the pacing of the time trial that you want to mention that we haven't talked about yet yeah i think uh, so when you say executing you know i stick into uh, so for me, the 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 whole race, the whole day of a of a time trial day, especially you know in uh, in uh, in cycling, in professional cycling, is most of the time is uh, included during a, a stage race. So uh, it's a special day. Then all the staff and uh, and the rider have a different routine uh, than the other days, and you need to be very. Uh, the, the protocol of this is to be very precise because you know there's a start time that is said you need to be ready at that start time so you start from the time you start going backward and you plan the day doing uh, you know when you finish the warm-up uh, when you start the warm-up and then when you start uh, when you finish your last meal and then but, but by that so it's by then you work backwards and then you realize it start when you wake up and I think the best the most important thing when you can wake up is check the hydration level because it's a simple thing. But we, especially during a stage race uh, or during generally the athletes, they train so hard and so long that I, they are constantly slightly 
um, underhydrated. And so it's important, you know, to replenish the fluid uh, the day, the morning of, of the time trial. It gives you mental clarity at bigger advantages. And, uh, you know, as, as regards the spacing itself, as I said, depends on, on many factors, but spacing is the key for a, a good execution of the time trial. Because uh, as an athlete, you have a potential, okay? And you need to, to maximize the potential for, for, for the course that is planned. If it's, uh, as I said, you need to, there is a simple rule, okay? If you, if to very simplify, the slower the speed, the higher the power. So <laughs> if you go on a climb, you need to go harder than on a flat. And on the flat, you need to go harder than on the descent. Out of the corner, you need to go harder than in than uh, on a flat path because you know you enter the corner at 30k an hour. You need to accelerate, so then you go maybe 150% of your threshold power, maybe 200%. You go maybe 600, 800 watts for five, six seconds. And uh, so this is the simple lure in pacing, and then you you. You adjust it depending on the ability of, of, of the rider. As I said before, on the climb, you need to go uh, harder. How hard? You have to look at the data, the, cap the, the capacity of the rider. You look at what is the, is, you know, is the maximum power for the duration of this climb. You look at the, what is the lactate level that he might produce for the duration of the climb if he rides at that intensity. And uh, yeah, these are all the numbers that you can work and the more one thing, another important thing, the more time, the more time try you do it, the rider every time learns something. So the more you do it, the more uh, you you learn, and the more you are able to to decide. The other is able to decide by by its himself what is the you know the best pacing for him on a on a given day, because you know he has the brain, yeah, he, and which is the results of year evolution. And so he can process all the data himself. If the rider is able to to debrief after every race and is able to 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 bring home some learning and then use the next time. Yeah, and how important do you consider that uh, maybe on race day, just following your your instinct, kind of your RPE, how hard it feels. Uh, versus having a specific plan. Well, or what's your take on the balance between between those two? Yeah, depends depends on the rider. <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> depends on the rider. Uh, my opinion is that you know if you're young and unexperienced rider, you should uh, use a spe or at the beginning try to see. I mean, in train you can do both. You can try. Okay, let's do this effort without looking at any data, no path rate, no power, no speed, nothing. And then repeat the same effort following, you know, maybe the day after or two days later, following, you know, the pacing strategy. And then we'll see what is the difference, first of all, in time and what is the difference in feeling. Could you, what, what, what was, where did you go harder? Where did you go lower? Of course, even the first day, I would like to see the data recorded. And I, when I was doing this, I did this, and most of the time the athletes go out harder when they have no data, and then in the, and in the end it drops. So when this happens, and happens 99% of the time, I like the riders to use the data during the race because it's a very good guide, and it's also um, it's also like having somebody there that keep constantly constantly pushes you like some. You know, if you have to ride 400 watts and 
you don't have 400 watts in front of you, some, sooner or later you might end up riding 380. And if you have the, the you know, numbers in front of you that tells you riding 380, then, the, you know, you're probably able to push a little bit harder. And uh, they like having somebody uh, in front of you that is, is slipping away from you. So I think uh, it's it's important, but in the you know you have just seen recently in the Tour the last time to run the Tour de France where you know a rider that won the Tour de France and was able to 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 um, basically change the the outcome of the race in the last time trial. He, he did that without the time, without uh, looking at the without using a power meter. So he just went all out as hard as he could. So. It did an outstanding performance. So maybe some people will argue, oh, maybe the power meter was uh, uh, was a limit. Sometimes it's a limit. I think because I know this rider has been testing this time trial uh, months before and going at race pace. I think it's probably had already an experience with this in a time trial. So he knew, or uh, it was not the first time he was going out. Uh, it, it was not. He already experienced that. So I think he was able to do without the power meter because he did already train in the same effort with the power meter. So that's what I say. The more experience, so he, was, he had already a good experience of that. So a, a good, as I said, the young rider with no experience, power meter. For the rest, I think I would still go with power meter unless, you know, you do the same effort uh, many times and you know yourself so well, okay? And then sometimes you say, oh, screw it. Let's go without by feeling and see what is the outcome. But <laughs> my recommendation is to, you know, get advantage of the data. Yeah. And if you could, uh, so what would your ideal setup of uh, the displays on the head unit be? What would what would the fields be that, that, are, that you think would be yeah. beneficial for a rider? Yeah. To keep it simple, I like to have the power, of course. Uh, like instant or three second rolling average speed because at the end of the day this is the most important thing yep. uh, you win time trial going faster and not going not the most fa the faster ride would win not the most powerful so speed and uh, distance because you want to know which it's you know it's some, uh, a good uh, a good method strategy is to divide the course in, in, in smaller parts so you want to you want to you know, to see where you are in each part and uh, and then time. Time because uh, sometimes, uh, you know, the way riders are, are used to train is always 10 minutes, 5 minutes rather than 10K, 8K. So if you have the climb, which is, uh, you know, from the start, it's going to take 10 or 11 minutes. You know, you want to see start the climb and you you have the target power. So, okay, how old is another two minutes, another one minute, another minute. So I like to have also the minutes, the time uh, in front on the screen. So only yep. if those four parameters simple, and uh, that's it. Perfect. And and what about let's let's assume here that the time trial is um, one hour or forty-five minutes to one hour. Uh, let's let's make it simple that way. What would your recommendation be for nutrition and hydration, if any? So I, hydration, I already mentioned before, it's important you are well hydrated. Uh, 100%. Even because you can you can finish lightly dehydrated, but in, especially when you start the warm up, you need to be hydrated because I think it, it's very important for uh, you know the mental clarity and the focus during the race. If you are um, you know if it, if just hydration is is just fine, okay, not under not dehydrated, then you can start the warm up. Maybe get a little bit dehydrated during the race. 
no problem with that, okay? Especially if it's up to one hour, it's not gonna affect the performance. Uh, as far as nutrition, um, I also like to keep it simple. I don't think nutrition within one hour is gonna affect the race. So you can, uh, you, you're gonna have your last meal probably three hours before you start the warm up, more or less, the general rule. So if you start the race at five o'clock and you start warm up at 2.30, okay, you want to have your lunch at 11.30. And, and, and nutrition is is simple. You need to be, you know, full of uh, of especially for four or one hour. You know, carbohydrates uh, based meal, mostly carbohydrates. One hundred grams of carbohydrates, no problem with that. Three hours before is most important. Need to be digestible, so you can have, you know, generally plain white rice or pasta, and a little bit of protein if a rider wants to, uh, like uh, scrambled eggs or, or chicken, and uh, and simple. You might have, uh, you know, stay on top of carbohydrates uh, with uh, during the warm up with a gel or two, and then during the race, uh, up to one hour, no nutrition doesn't have an impact during the race. It can have, you know, you can get some sugar in the in the bottles, like cold water with some. Some any type of, of sugar just to give the brain for the senior. You know, there is good, uh, I think, good evidence that uh, can give you a small boost to the brain if you take, uh, uh, if you sip in. But this, you don't need to, to, to swallow. You just uh, the, the amount in the amount taste, uh, it tastes in the amount, sweat, sugar taste in the amount is good uh, senior for the brain. And you can, it can go harder. It's safe to go harder. So that's it. I mean, if for longer events, it probably is, is very important nutrition. But up to one time trial, once you're, uh, you know, glycogen uh, replenished before the start, there's no, you can have pasta, rice, whatever, but digestible food because you don't want to have food, uh, you know, messing up in the stomach. You know, the blood needs to go to the muscle and the brain. So yeah, that's, that's so. That's so would you would you would you recommend carrying a bottle of something or sports drink uh, on the bike, or would you go with, completely without bottles, especially to save weight on a hilly time trial? Or what would your recommendation be for carrying if, anything? If uh, if it's warm, like uh, that, you can get hot. I would I would recommend to take uh, yeah cold water, cold uh, drinks with with some sugar. Uh, if we're talking about uh, you know sixty kilometer and and get. Uh, get uh, some fluid in at some point in the race you can decide where when is the best place maybe you know at the beginning of at the middle of the descent when when your heart rate is going a little bit down if it's cold uh, and 45 minutes i would keep a bottle just for arrow you know but sometimes having a bottle mm -hmm. is more arrow than not having a bottle but you don't yeah. really need to to drink I mean, you can have a bottle and, and some drink in case you feel like you know your 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 uh, mouth is drying up and you need uh, but you don't necessarily need it if it's cold weather like less than 15 degrees yeah uh now if you can share some benchmarks for what it takes to be a worthless uh, time trial cyclist in terms of power and power to weight and cda uh, is that something that you can you can talk about yeah i mean uh, of course so cda yeah uh depends on the equipment depends on the equipment because uh, you know if, if when you go test on the track but a good uh yeah a good cda is 0.22 depend on the body size of the of the rider okay but uh that is uh yeah I, i've seen cdas as low as 0 0.205 you know on the road just with with one disc wheel 
uh, to 0.23 for bigger riders, okay? And uh, yeah, 0.23 sounds sounds pretty high, actually. Even, okay, even if it's a bigger rider explains yeah. it, but but can you still be a world class time trialist? Yeah, but rider like bigger? maybe 80, 83 kilogram. You know, it's okay. uh, okay. it's uh, yeah. they can produce maybe 480 watts for <laughs> for yeah. 40, 45 minutes. So yeah, uh, yeah, and and uh, at the same with with power output. Of course, smaller rider like 67, 70 kilogram, they you know they are in the range of six six point two watts per kilogram for 45 minutes big rider for them it's it's uh, more it's harder because uh, i think because of ho- they overheat you know they can go 500 watts but you know they can they they can hardly go above six watts per kilogram because you know it's a lot of power and so they have more uh, problem with uh, eliminate dissipating the heat produced with that power but, so generally yeah. they they can they can be at world class level also at 5.7 5.8 because uh, because the massive the power is so high you know because of the weight they, it's it's still uh, 450 watts even if it's not 6 watts per game it's, it's always 450 watts on the flat even you know, if your cda is a bit high it's still uh, it's still uh, it does it is it still creates a lot of speed yeah let's put yeah. it this way yeah and then yeah. of course in a, in a, in an apple time trial yeah, above uh, six watts per kilogram, definitely for thirty minutes, six point two, six point four. You know, yeah. uh, if a for for happy time trial, but that is you know, rider less than 72, 71 kilogram above that yeah. is going to be difficult to perform. You know, to be in top in the top um, place. Uh, next question: If you were to give some advice to to amateur cyclists focusing on time trials. Uh, and also, of course, uh, triathletes uh, about how they can become better at time traveling. What what would uh, the advice be? Yeah, I think spending time on the on the on the time trial bike is the most uh, spending time and, and and you know dedicate uh, yeah uh, spending time on it because on the position and then on. Uh, and then I think probably find uh, because a triathlon they need to preserve the legs of uh, for the for the run leg for the run part and uh, so I think they they need to fine tune the position and in and um, on the time trial bike and that helps them to still be fast and preserve you know the legs for the final uh, the, the run part. For example, I've seen a trend in um, you know that is coming as well to 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 cycling. You know that triathletes uses shorter cranks on yep. um, on uh, on the bike, which I don't think it makes a difference on uh, on the performance itself. Maybe they, there is they are more aero because maybe are one or two centimeter lower. Also, generally the you know the the, the mass of gravity is is lower, but. Uh, um, they probably probably preserve some muscle, which are key then for the for the run part. Um, you know, I'm just thinking, assuming this, and I don't think you know reducing the length. Uh, if they once you're used to, it probably is not going to penalize you unless there is a lot of acceleration involved in the course of of a uh, triathlon, which I don't think that's the case most of the times. So I think uh, you know fine tune the position really because it's really important. Because it's free one, it's free speed that you can get with a good uh, 
with a good fitting, with a good position, and you know, spend time on it so you are become efficient, and then you are able to to give uh, um, the the stamina for the final part of the race. Perfect. And uh, one more question uh, is about uh, team trialing. Uh, how do you prepare your team for that event? Yeah. So this is a you know and um it's a discipline that I love because it's you no know, it's it's always on it's a little bit like team pursuit on the track the speed is higher sorry, sorry can can I I realize that maybe all all listeners don't even know what the team yeah. trial is so can you first explain just briefly yeah. what what the discipline is basically it's a race against the clock but it's not an individual one but you start as a team so you might start with a team, let's say, of eight riders. So and uh, you know you have you have to produce the on a on a certain course to produce the fastest uh, the, the slower time to cover the course with it as a team. And uh, the time is taken generally on the on if you start in eight, it's generally taken on the fifth rider. So you need half of the rider plus one to finish the race, and you take the time of the you know on the fifth rider. So you you go out as a group and you do a work together. So each rider is in front a certain amount of time, and the rider are in the slips, generally all in line. And uh, you know this is a discipline that uh, it's faster. And people think that okay, you got four, uh, you got eight good time trial, individual one. It's going to make a good team. It's not always the case because in in the team time trial. There is a lot more uh, involved, especially in uh, in, uh, in strength and muscular endurance, because the acceleration that you get, you know, you when you ride in front, you're riding the speed is probably generally rule 150 watts. So if you go, if a threshold is 400 watts, you need to ride in front of 550 watts, or for a duration that can be from 10 seconds to 40 seconds, depending on the on the ability of the rider. And then when you go back in the line. You also need to have to sprint to get back to the line, and also it's a more, uh, it, it's it's a lot of a lot more technique involved in that, and you have a lot more spikes. But uh, yeah, it's a very good discipline to do to do train for, because uh, you know strong rider in this event are strong, uh, um, you know a strong rider as well in the in the in general cyc- road, road cycling races, and uh, it involves a lot of I like this you know. Be, to bring together a team, it, it, it this needs more time together because there is a lot of the, um, a lot of technique involved, and you know there's many things that can lead to mistakes. Uh, but and to have a, a well-oiled uh, team, it takes uh, times and discipline of the rider. And uh, and then so so how can can you explain a little bit about how you're training for that and and what goes into making the team a well yeah. well oiled machine? Yeah. So we we start as well as I said when I was in talking in December, uh, we start already in December doing um, we call you know drills or exercises as a team, and uh, this can be done by anybody, even the riders who are uh, uh, let's say behind their preparation compared to the other one because the reason is because you gauge the intensity by the time you stay in front pulling so if you start uh you know because when you are drafting when you are how you are probably 40 percent from 40 to 60 percent less power than the rider in front of you so uh, everybody no, a good bike rider would be able to stay on the wheel 
okay? And just when it goes in front, it feels, you know, a massive uh, increase in the resistance. So if it's fit, it's going to stay 30 seconds. If it's not fit, it's going to stay five seconds. And for him, it's just a good, uh, a good spikes in training, and then it comes back. Okay, but is, even then, so we 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 progress in the uh, in uh, in the training camp. We usually find a good course with no traffic, so we start doing drills, maybe three, four times, uh, five, six minutes. So each rider basically goes in in a group of five to eight rider. Each group uh, goes in front for. Uh, each rider goes in from a couple of times the first uh, drill and then free time and then by the time the, the season progresses, this is more important to to you know not to do a remote coaching but to do uh, to do with a group when it's not possible to meet with a group the motorbike here is important because this is uh, the motor pacing in this case you can you can uh, if you don't have your teammate to train the motor, pay, the motor is very important because you can use the motor as a team. So you stay behind the motor, and at the distance that you can, you can adjust, you can decide. So you uh, and the speed uh, is the speed because the motorbike can go 60 km hour, which is maybe the speed that uh, uh, on a flat a time trial, a team time trial is ridden. And so, and then uh, every two minutes you can decide. Okay, I go out of the slip of the motorbike and stay there ten seconds or twenty seconds, depending, you know, of the goal of the training, and then come back in the slipstream. So this is a little bit like having a team around you, but you don't have it, so you need just need one person with the motorbike. But this also need to be experienced how to use it. But motorbike is more important for this type of two, as a substitute of uh, of your teammates. Yeah, no, that's a really good good point. And and how much uh, how how often have you done these uh, types of exercises in the actual team before you get to a major stage race, for example, where you have a team trial time trial event? So we do as often as we can. As, uh, the most the most challenge here is the logistic to have uh, six or eight hours involved. So um, we do certainly before the key event. So we do a short camp before there. And every race is possible. Uh, we do another, you know, when the rider get together, we do again uh, two free training. So generally, I would like to do 10 training together with the same team, 10 days of yep. training, which can be three days here, three days there, and three days there, and three, three, three different parts. Yeah, perfect. Uh, all right, uh, Marco, I think that's it for the time trial discussion. Uh, let's uh, move on to the rapid fire questions. So these are just very quick and fast questions. Take one sentence to, to yeah. answer these. The first one is, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to cycling or endurance sports? I think Sweet Science Blog by Alex Hutchinson. And what's a personal habit that helped you achieve success? Uh, I sleep. I think when I increase my sleep time, uh, you know, at the most of my career, and even now, you know, sleeping is the most uh, important factor in, uh, you know, the most uh, most important enhancing factor. And who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? Yeah, it's a good question. I in my cycling career, I never had any, you know, a specific role model, but I do remember when I was eight years old. It was uh, no the news of Francesco Moser uh, beating the hour record. Uh, first was in Mexico City, so it was it was in '84. He was trying '84-'85. He beat it all the record uh, from the hour from altitude, uh, and then at sea level, and then indoor, and then outdoor. 
And I, I remember, you know, I was following the news and I started looking at the former record. Uh, he beat the record of Eddie Max from 1973. So I look at that. And so I started become probably, <laughs> that, that was the seed that, that, that uh, was put inside me about the uh, race against the clock. I think it was, uh, so I never had the one, but I still remember, you know, looking up to these Francesco Moser attempts in the, in the track around Europe. Definitely sounds like a spark of inspiration yeah. there. All right. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Marco. Where can listeners follow you and follow the CCC team? What are the best places to, uh, to see what's going on? Yeah, I think uh, uh, yeah, the best place is probably I, I'm not a, a big uh, social media guy, but I have a Twitter account. It's Marco Pinotti. And then uh, they can find also CCC team uh, on Twitter or on Facebook page. Perfect. Thank you again. Uh, it's been a great pleasure talking to you, Marco. Thank you very much. Pleasure for me as well. Bye. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com where we'll have links to Marco's Twitter and the CCC team website as well as to the cycling category archives so you can view and read and listen to all previous cycling-related episodes on that triathlon show. On Thursday, we have another Q&A coming out as usual. And next Monday, I interview coach Kevin Poulton, who is another World Tour-level cycling coach from Australia. And this episode, we will really dive into indoor training, which is one of Kevin's areas of expertise. So stay tuned for that. If you're looking for training plans or coaching services, go and check out scientifictriathlon.com and uh, the services and products we offer there. It's always a good time to get a coach, but uh, when there's still plenty of time until next race season, like right now, is a particularly good time. So if you are considering getting a coach, then uh, send us an email and we'll be happy to set up uh, a conversation so that you can see if it's a good match. Big thanks finally to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test and get a personalized hydration strategy for your next race and get 15% off your order with the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, dry suits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with the promo code roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft.